get my uh, my serious introduction voice going here. On September 22nd, 2004, Oceanic Flight 815 crashed on a seemingly uninhabited island in the South Pacific. There were 48 survivors. This is Get Lost, a podcast about those survivors and their experiences on the island. I'm your host, Jonathan Kennedy, joined by my co-hosts, Aaron Mick, and newly stranded Lost fan, Sarah Black. Welcome to the second episode of Get Lost. I am, as always, your host, Jonathan Kennedy, joined by my good friends, Aaron Mick and Sarah Blackmore. Say hi. Hi. Hello. And today we are talking about episodes three and four. Um, Let me find my notes on those. I should be more prepared. Yes, episodes three, episode three, Tabula Rasa, which focuses on Kate and episode four, Walkabout, which focuses on Lost. So Walk. probably... <laughs> <laughs> which focuses uh, on Lost, yes. Well... <laughs> did, did I say Lost? Yeah, you did. Yeah. That's okay. But you know what? It works. You were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to get Sarah's first thoughts uh, on the episodes. Yeah, so we have, like you said, ta- I have, I'm looking at my notes, Tabula Rasa... I'm sure I'm, maybe I'm not saying that right, but no one here speaks Latin. It so. just means, bl- it means blank slate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which, which we'll get to a little later, because mm-hmm. I have thoughts on that. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then walkabout. That's my Australian accent. Very nice. <laughs> huh? I've lived in Sarah, Australia. Sarah, for those who don't know, spent a year in Australia. Yeah, so I'm, I'm the authority here. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, first thoughts. Um, I... I Okay, today I made a more concerted effort to focus my notes on these episodes because last week I definitely ended up talking a little bit about episode three when we were supposed to be talking about episodes one and two. So right, yeah. uh, I might have a couple repeat thoughts. I'll try not to. But from now on, I'm, I'm a more focused me. <laughs> um, I know it. <laughs> yeah, I can't promise that. Um, okay, so... Episode three, Kate's backstory. My really, my my like, if we're talking first thoughts in terms of specificity, one of the things that jumped out at me was why is Jack gaslighting Hurley about? <laughs> okay, so this is the episode we get to know more about Kate's character, right? And we find out that she's like a fugitive or whatever. We we see her a little bit of like she gets arrested. We don't really know what happened. Um, we see like her parole officer, uh, he's not a parole officer. He's her, it's like a a bounty hunter. Yeah. And, um, and then we see her mugshot and this is the thing. So, um, that dude is like dying on the beach and he's like, don't trust her. And then (laughs) she's dangerous. And then he tells Jack to, to, he's like, check in my pocket. And he, and Jack pulls out a picture of Kate's mugshot. But it's just a printout of it's the It's just mugshot. a printout no of a mugshot. No, and, and actually, watching today, I noticed it says page two out of two on it. So I guess maybe that was their attempt to be like, this. we promised the document had more to it than this. <laughs> but, okay, so then Jack pulls it out. And to me, it's like this, this like ongoing thing where Jack is obviously supposed to be the leader, but he's refusing it. So Hurley comes up and he's like, whoa. And he says, like, that, that mugshot looks 
pretty hardcore, which <laughs> it, it doesn't. Like it could that could have easily been like a petty crime mugshot. A just celebrity as well. mugshot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Jack is like, he's like, nah. he takes it back. He's like, it's, it's not yours. And I'm like, well, Jack, it's not yours either. Like, you, like, why do you got to make Hurley feel that way? Uh, I, I just felt like it's this like you know, Jack is doing this thing where he's struggling between, am I the leader? Am I not the leader? Mm -hmm. And so part of him wants to be like, I have the authority to take this picture back and I get to control who sees the mugshot. But then part of him, as we see later in this episode, like doesn't want anything to do with the burial service. Like he kind of, he pushes back on Claire. He's like, I'm not the leader. Like, why are you asking me about what should be done with the bodies in the fuselage? So I just thought Jack was being a little bit of a dick to Hurley because Hurley's reaction was normal. He's like, Oh, Whoa, like a mugshot. <laughs> and then Jack's like, no, <laughs> he like takes it from him. He's like, none of your business. I'm like, Oh, it's none yeah, of your Jack business. Being a either. Dick isn't, uh, isn't exactly outside of his, you know? Yeah. And it's not outwardly. <laughs> it's not like a Sawyer dick, but it is like, it's just a little bit like, okay, well, are you, or are you not the leader? Because you don't get to tell Hurley not to look at the picture and like pretend it's suddenly your property just because you're like not able to save this dying man, uh, <laughs> which like, I don't blame him for. He tried his best. Um, but also like, and then be like, I'm not going to help with other things. I'm not the leader. I'm like, what? yeah, anyway, we know that <laughs> we know that his leadership, I, I mean, and I already know this from having seen literally just one extra episode, but it does get more solidified. But right now we're in this annoying back and forth of like, sure, who are you? So that's my first impression of episode three. Should we do four or should you get, or do you guys want to talk about? Oh, let's talk about them together. What do you think, okay. Jonathan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Talk about them together because there's a lot of stuff that I want to talk about that, you know, kind of overlaps both episodes as well. So. Okay, okay. So then episode four, Walkabout, is, uh, okay, so walkabout. I, and this might overlap with some people's notes. Like, literally just pulling this from Wikipedia, but Lindelof describes this episode as the litmus test episode for viewers. So this was, uh, like, my first impression of it was also that it was like, you know, very grabby kind of like, whoa! one of these first moments where you're like, okay, now there's a little bit more of this like magic in the show. The show's taking some weirder turns. Like it hinted at some like, you know, yeah. spooky surrealism yeah, before. Um, but this is the first episode where they're straight up. Like the man was in a wheelchair and now he can walk. So yeah, and then you know, yeah, at the end of the episode, it's Jack seeing this weird apparition in the yes, yes. So, so it's it's the apparently yeah. apparently this episode is like really commonly cited as like the episode that hooks people in. Yes, and uh, one of the things on Wikipedia was like uh, another quote from some critic was uh, this episode cemented more lost fans than maybe any other episode. So it kind yeah, of yeah, like exactly. and ABC yeah. picked it up. After this episode aired for the whole season. Right. That's when it was announced. I didn't know that. Yeah. So he took a risk and it paid off. Uh, so I, like probably my favorite episode so far, which is no surprise. Sounds like I'm in the majority of people there. <laughs> yeah, um, because it's structurally very good, too. We can talk about yeah. that later. And it's just like my first impression is jo like John Locke is uh, a really lovable character. And I had mentioned this last week, but he was the first his orange slice mouth was like the first time that I was like, hmm, show's a bit weird. Uh, so I liked getting to know his story. I have one note I want to say. John Locke's boss, Randy. Oh my God, Randy. Is a monster. A fucking creep. So like also, 
in the beginning, before we realized that uh, the twist of the episode is that Locke was using a wheelchair. Uh, before we know that, we see his boss like give him a hard time. He's like, oh, you gotta, I didn't, you know, whatever he says, like, papers on my desk by noon don't mean 12.05. Or like, that's not the quote. But he's <laughs> basically like grilling him about his work. And then in the break room, he's like making fun of him for all of his hobbies. And then he says like, oh, he doesn't believe that he has a girlfriend or whatever. And like, then we find out that John Locke uses a wheelchair. And I'm like, straight up paraplegic. And I'm like, um... <laughs> who is this boss? Like he was already a dick. And now we realize he's just this like ableist prick. (laughs) I don't know. Like, like again, this to me, this is like one of these things about, like I said, this about Sawyer, like unbelievably evil. No one could be that evil. Aaron is for, yeah. Aaron is grinning at me right now. I cannot. I just can't wait for you to watch Sawyer unfold as a person. I just, and I, I mean, I don't, like I'm not here to like project too much into the future because I don't want to I don't want to give too much away for Sarah. But since like anyone listening to this is probably somebody who like has seen Lost before, I have like like two comments that are very vague. But Jonathan will understand, and you can just brood about <laughs> oh, for the God. next couple months. <laughs> okay. So the first comment is I watching through. I'm because I'm now on my own separately from rewatching for the podcast, also on season six again. So I now realize... The final season. Yeah, the final yep. season. <laughs> Not seven. <laughs> Not seven. <laughs> we were confusing loss with sex I, in the city. Yes. I now, <laughs> I now realize how beautiful the character arc really is for Sawyer. Okay. Rewatching season six. Not Randy. <laughs> no, Randy is a piece of shit the whole way through. And Randy so one dimensional pops up again a couple times and he's Ugh. just always despicable. I don't know. I wonder who that actor is. I, I know he, like, I recognize him from he, somewhere. He, yeah. even, he even just looks gross though. Like his hair and his like weird like facial hair. You know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of Randall from Monsters Inc. <laughs> He's just the worst. He's so awful. Um, but yes. He reminds me of a pickup artist. Also yeah. that, yeah. He's Billy like, he Ray. is Tom Cruise in Magnolia. Billy <laughs> Billy Ray Galleon is Randy Nations. His name is Randy Nations? <laughs> so, oh, so listen, Billy Ray, Galleon. no hate on you, man. You did a good job <laughs> being despicable, but holy Christ. Good God. Um, Look at him. Uh, and then the other thing I want to say that's very vague, but that Jonathan oh, will understand, sorry. is um, this is going back to uh, our, our previous podcast episode, and mm-hmm. you mentioned the backgammon game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Holy crap, that's a motif that they really never let up with. Like it's it, true, yeah. It really, it's Dark and like, light. Well, well, just the, like, like evil the game good, itself or, is important. Oh, like, and And so I know that that's like super vague. and Not, e- oh. not even just... Backgammon, but like the concept of games. Yeah, okay. the concept of games. The concept wait, this of is not a dark. game theory show, is it, Jonathan? <laughs> <laughs> no, if, if it was, we wouldn't be here right now. I know. I, I, know you're so so I do have. I, I do have plenty to say on the various, you know, uh, political, philosophical uh, underpinnings of the show. Even well, John Locke's name. Uh, there's an there's an episode in season five where somebody says. Oh, your your mother had a sense of humor when they named you because like his name yeah, got lost. So <laughs> I don't know. Let's uh, we can well, even move on to your impressions, Jonathan, if you want. I just have to say, well, oh, Sarah was... has one more thing. Billy ahead, Billy Ray Galleon is uh, was in an episode of Brooklyn Nine Nine. Oh, 
Uh, Which episode? I'm trying to find that now. Apparently his character's name was Hestus. Billy Ray Galleon. Uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Coral Palms. I knew he looked familiar for some reason. Anyway, <laughs> you, uh, the listeners will have to do their own. Well, listen, Billy Ray, <laughs> I see you, man. You have a good career. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, I knew his face looked familiar, but uh, and he was in Hawaii Five-0 as well. Wow. Um, as were uh, Jin and uh, Jin, Jin and Hurley. Is, oh, Jin and Hurley. Daniel Day uh, Kim yeah. and haven't, Jorge Garcia. Haven't seen any uh, Hawaii Five-0. I guess that's our homework. Me, me neither, but I <laughs> yeah, was just aware of it by being aware of, you know, being aware of them. I feel like one of my main roles in this podcast is going to be to continually remind all of us how hot everyone in this show is. Um, <laughs> and true. so I just want to uh-huh. reiterate once more okay. uh, that Daniel Day Kim is so handsome. Yes. Like, he really what the is. hell? Yeah, he's I just, striking. Oh my God, he's so striking. And yeah. I just, I, that, so that's my, that's my one, well, no promises, but that's my first hot person reminder for this episode. <laughs> yeah, don't, I mean, don't make that promise. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could literally do an entire, you know, show about just how hot everyone is. And we should. And we should. <laughs> I agree. This this is now the hot or not podcast and lost <laughs> is all hot all the time. John, and you have to do it now. You have to do like a sound effect that's like wing 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 wing. Yeah. It's an air horn. Even though it's like it's just an audio podcast, so it's like there's no point. Like, we're not going to show pictures. We're just going to say their name and then be like, hot or not? Hot. Yeah. Okay, anyway. Anyways, moving on. Sorry, Sorry. Sorry to derail. Okay, so those, that's my first thoughts. Um, Hi, I'm doing a PhD in film studies. You guys notice how hot everyone is? Because <laughs> that's Hollywood, baby. There's, I, I've been watching, like, a couple episodes ahead of where we are. Mm-hmm. So, like, yesterday I watched like the two that come after these two and there's a scene where like sawyer comes out of the ocean mm-hmm. just like totally naked and <laughs> well do we see full frontal most... no this is abc no. okay <laughs> no but it's like the most gazy like right. it's like it's like male gaze focused on a male character yeah. it's wild it is kind of wild um and and and, and then Kate makes a small dick joke, but we'll get to that. <laughs> Can't wait. This um, is, the, uh, by the way, this uh, episode three is the episode where Sawyer uses the term metro as an insult. Yep. Which, which I <laughs> Stay out of this metro. Yeah. I remember that. Yep. Yeah. So that's just a little reminder to the viewers of the era that we're in. <laughs> the, the true era. I also love, I want to point out that uh, uh, Sh- Shannon, the <laughs> Boone's sister, uh, she has the zigzag part in mm. episode. Four. Does everybody remember the zigzag yeah. part? Oh, wow. Yeah, you need this a was comb a staple. For that. Yeah, this yeah. was a staple of early two thousands. Okay, I did this. I did this all the time. I'm not able to achieve <laughs> the zigzag. Part, well, but, no, uh, with straight hair, it's easier. Yeah, but well, let's just talk about the fact that she's stranded on an island and has been for four days, and woke up that morning and thought to herself, "Today's the day for a zigzag part." <laughs> Well, I mean, she she's also, you know, been giving herself pedicures. And, she's so funny. Yeah, you know, she's really, she, she's treating it like, you know, she's on vacation. Yeah, she's like basically. at a resort. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. I, I later want to bring up the idea of wigs in this show. So oh, let's yes. just put that in our Let's just put that in. How about I just write that down? Wigs for later. It's going to come up when I, I have a question I 
threatened uh, Jonathan and Aaron with earlier. Oh, yes. And uh, just, you know, we'll talk about it later, the cheesiness of the show. But I got to bring up wigs later. But anyway, I digress. So let's talk about John Locke, Jonathan. Okay, well, the... I've spent a little more time than I care to admit uh, reading about John Locke in the past couple of days, <laughs> the philosopher. Um, I hadn't really read any Locke since like probably my second or third year of university. But uh, I think the main reason that Locke's named as such is kind of a, a point towards the philosopher Locke's mm-hmm. concept of the state of nature. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he talks about it in the second treatise of government. Um, Father of liberalism. Uh, God, I forgot. I did a poli sci minor and I <laughs> forgot who this dude was. In here. I mean, I, I I didn't particularly care for him, so I kind of had repressed a lot of this. I repressed too. all of my poli sci degree, but that's. <laughs> um, if I can quote uh, John Locke for you, you can uh, a little bit. Uh, so, in Second Treatise of Government, he kind of outlines this idea of the state of nature, uh, to properly understand political power and its trace origins, we must consider the state that all people are in naturally. That is a state of perfect freedom of acting and disposing of their own possessions and persons as they think fit within the bounds of the law of nature. People in the state do not have to ask permission to act or depend on the will of others to arrange matters on their behalf. The natural state is also one of equality in which all power and jurisdiction is reciprocal and no one has more than another. It is evident that all human beings as creatures belonging to the same species and rank and born indiscriminately with all the same natural advantages and faculties are equal amongst themselves. They have no relationship of subordination or subjection unless God, the Lord and master of them all, has clearly set one person above another and conferred on him an undoubted right to dominion and sovereignty. So that last sentence will probably become relevant later in the series, but I think like basically mm-hmm. all of that is to say that Locke being named Locke is kind of setting up maybe even a little heavy handedly, you know, the idea that these people just, you know, crashed on this deserted Island and they're kind of, you Mm. know, outside of civilization now. And they're, you know, they're, they're in the state of nature. Yeah. Well, and he, you know, it becomes how, how they progress from there. Right. And it's, it's important too, because in walkabout in episode four, when he gets denied access to the walkabout itself, he's gone to all this trouble Mm -hmm. The thing he repeatedly shouts is, don't tell me what I can't do, Mm -hmm. which is a direct appeal to this sort of he does have some idea, uh, even even though, of course, like as an actor, I sort of doubt that Terry O'Quinn was just like obsessing over John Locke, the philosopher. But there's no way there's no way he wasn't thinking about it a little bit. And so I think that's kind of a direct appeal to this notion that off the island uh, John Locke struggles with having sovereignty over himself, but on the island, it's kind of granted back to him. We can talk about the complicated implications of, um, you know, there's a little bit of maybe able, ableism slipping in to the actual fabric of the show, this idea that he's like truly better off um, right? Yeah. once he is quote unquote healed. But uh, the scene with the, um, the interaction with the walkabout leader does, does a lot of work towards, um, absolving the show of any of those problematics but still i think they're there in what in what sense what do you mean by that well i do think that i mean it's kind of like um this notion that he's like better once he can walk again the scene with the walk guy 
Yeah. Oh, so the scene with the walkabout guy, it's very clear that the show is also condemning ableism. Right. Even if it yeah, subtly, it's... I think, yes. almost buys into a subtle philosophy that is ableist, I think it still was aware that that problematic was Yeah, was and possible. I think, if I may be so bold as to comment on every issue ever, but yes, I, think you may show, be. I think the show does that with a lot of things. Like it It's does. trying really hard to comment on racism while it's still, like has some racist tropes or, you know, gender or in this case, ableism. Like, I think the show, it's like, you almost want to be like, bless your heart to the show. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I mean, going back to like Locke being, you know, the, the father of liberalism, that's a very liberal um, kind of political view about, you know, um, oppression. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you know, kind of feigning to address, those issues while still reproducing. Yeah, them. precisely. Yeah, you know, it's a really common. I mean, even like uh, the philosopher John Locke himself was, you know, supposedly about like the freedom of you know the individual mm. and like, but he was still you know in a lot of ways pro-slavery. Uh, yeah, I mean, and that's so uh, it's yeah historicity is complicated. Kind of court, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, and it's kind of it's it, it's it's an underlying you know. Uh, Dominique Lucerto has a really good book called Liberalism, A Counter History. Oh, yeah, I haven't read that one. You know, it, I fucking I can't read. Lucerto. Everyone should read Lucerto. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> imagine, imagine that was but, the twist uh, of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, 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 sorry. The island took away your ability to read. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's all about, you know, the contradictory underpinnings of you know the foundations of liberalism if you're you know a nerd and into that kind of thing there's a Um, google google tells me one of the top quotes from john locke is what worries you masters you which i have some problems with that (laughs) um but he also jonathan uh says all wealth is the product of labor that sounds like a quote you can get behind well, um, I, I was before I came on here, I was actually reading Juca uh, uh, Gronau's On the Formation of Marxism, which has an entire chapter about Locke? Um, L- about Locke and Marxist criticisms of Locke. Hmm. What um, do the Marxists so have to say about him? It sounds like he was half <laughs> half there. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> like um, base like. We also don't way, have to turn this. I mean, okay, it's your podcast. It is a Marxist <laughs> podcast, but we also don't <laughs> have to turn this into a Marxist philosophy podcast. But it is going to be I, I one. Mean, but the, damn it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Marx himself um, in a couple of places in his economic manuscripts, uh, as well as theories of surplus value, kind of touches on uh, how Locke's uh, ideas of property relations uh, are kind of petty bourgeois. It's mm. like you know, for 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 Locke, you know, labor creates property, but it's like an individual property rather than private property. So it ra- it's mm. you know, your possessions rather than you know your means of production. Right, he wasn't quite there. So <laughs> yeah, so it's it's. Uh, May I say one thing about before I forget about the character John Locke in Lost? Sure, um, go ahead. No, we're only talking philosophy. Yeah, yeah, sorry. That was my <laughs> fault, TBH. Um, so John Locke, the character, um, I read this thing about how, like, Jack's character is meant to portray, like, medicine, science, logic, and how 
Locke's character is meant to portray more of a religious uh, and maybe not like religious and the philosopher. Like he's meant to be a little bit more of the character. Yeah, that's, he's, he's yeah. almost a mystic. Really. Yeah, the one who is going to be the character that tests your understanding of the show and, and like what's real, what's not. And um, so it is interesting that he, you know, I'm not, well, interesting is not the word. It's apt probably that they chose like a philosopher yeah, no, for, for his sure. name. Yeah. And like in, in a letter concerning toleration, which is another, uh, which is like John Locke, the philosopher. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the philosopher. yeah. yeah his, his, uh, you know, kind of his writings on religion, he kind of rejects atheism. Uh, it's a quote that I wrote down in my mm. notes, actually, uh, promises, covenants, and oaths, which are the bonds of human society can have no uphold no hold upon an atheist. Mm. So it kind of sets up, mm-hmm. you know, that, that kind of, you know, man of science, man of yeah. faith thing that we get Classic. with well, Locke and Jack later in the, in the series. Yeah. And I was, I wrote down just now when you guys were talking, um, just this little note in my phone, binaries and fatal flaws as motifs of the show. And so we, this goes back once more to this, the backgammon game. Uh, and we mentioned yesterday, the, not yesterday, but you know, in the last episode, we did um, not record the last episode yesterday. We did not. Erin has just I had a, a lapse of time. <laughs> well, I, we're on the island. Nothing I, matters. Yeah, true. Yeah, time, time is very uh, in flux. Yeah, time is in flux. Uh, no, but in the in the previous podcast recording, um, we brought up this notion of like light and dark, mm-hmm. good and bad, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And so I think uh, in some ways, I mean, and you can... I don't know how I don't know how noticeable this is on a first on a first pass because of course you're watching for like who are these people and what's going on. Mm-hmm. But um maybe one thing that I want to tune you into since we have the advantage of being able to tune you into things <laughs> is um well thank you. <laughs> this notion of binaries. Uh-huh. And so like Jack and Locke are I noticed already set up as these kind of like polar mm-hmm. opposites of each other mm-hmm. like you're mentioning. And what's fascinating is that I think uh, one thing the show does kind of beautifully is actually, I mean, once again, it sort of does something while also trying to not do that. So it kind of blends science and religion or science and spirituality Mm -hmm. in a way that's kind of unique and interesting while still presenting this notion that it's society that creates those binaries. So like Jack and John Locke, are we see Mm -hmm. as members of a society that places them in binary, like in binary opposition to each other. Mm -hmm. We see them as binary opposites, kind of. There Mm -hmm. is the man of science and the man of spirituality. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing you'll come to perhaps realize in this season is how their traits as characters are similar in some ways. Like they both have similar tendencies towards leadership Mm-hmm. towards um, not fucking listening to anyone else. <laughs> and they both have a lot of hangups about what they're capable of. Yeah, and fathers, father yeah. uh, relationships, father-son relationships. Um, like John yeah, capability. Yeah, like John's thing about, like, you know, you can't tell me what I can't do. And then, like, soon we see Jack struggle with, like, I can't be the leader. I'm not able to do it. And like the yeah. flashbacks of why. Or even with the yeah. friggin' Dural Sack tear. This like little moment where he's <sighs> that like, Dural Sack tear haunting us. <laughs> but the Dural Sack tear comes back in season six. I That's the other thing I wanted to say is that this fucking Dural Sack thing is just never going to go. But dare I say, <laughs> Damn it. Jonathan and Sarah, uh-huh. dare I say that Jack and Locke are foils of one another? 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. That... I think you dare. <laughs> I think you dare. Um, I think I dare. But I also, I don't know if that would have been obvious to me yet. I, I think like now I'm confusing whether or not I am agreeing with you because like, oh, duh. But, well, but like, that's okay. I might yeah. be, that might just be something I'm projecting also. Like this is all. You guys also have this forward knowledge, right? Yeah, like exactly. I, right away, like I think they, like y- I just don't even know if I see them on the same place yet. And it, yeah. like, and it makes sense to me that I would read, like you would say, and that I would read um, that they're supposed to be these opposites, but it didn't, I don't know. It didn't dawn on me yet. Maybe. Yeah. In the couple, like, so that's interesting we're, though. We're pretty early though. We're pretty early. And I also think that um, the notion of spirituality does get more muddled as the series goes on. Like, uh, cause obviously you you're already realizing that obviously something's like off with this island. Sure. Um, it's already made a paraplegic man walk again. Right. So I mean, there's obviously something going on. Something's um, going on. Uh, what else? Do, oh, and fatal flaws. Okay, so I think maybe something to start looking for is like how are each of these characters like in some respects um, like Greek? <laughs> right. Um, I feel like there's a lot of. Uh, Greek, ancient Greek type mythological thematics operating already in the first episodes. Uh, and I don't want to say much more than that, but um, okay, okay. something to think about. Okay. Yeah, I keep my eye open. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if I had anything that I really would desperately wanted to bring up that could get us to a, a little segue. Jonathan, I'm curious while Erin looks at her notes about John, we, like John Locke's character in general and I know this is something that you wanted to talk about a little bit, but like to like how significant is his character to you in the um, style of the show? Well, um, yeah, that's actually a really good segue because um, I wanted to talk about the way this is kind of the first episode where we get, you know, an introduction of aside from the monster, I guess, uh, you know, and Aaron touched on this before as well, or maybe it was you, Sarah, who touched on it. I can't remember, but we're the, the same uh, person. Know, the magical it's elements like... of the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're on the you're on the same audio track, so you might have. <laughs> um, yeah, the uh, you know, Aaron mentioned last week. I had been talking about how coming to it through like uh, you know an interest in surrealism mm-hmm. kind of led to uh, an interest in like magical realism. And, uh, you know, so like I said, we get the, uh, you know, the island ostensibly healing Locke's paralysis. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the episode, we get Jack chasing after this or seeing this apparition that, you know, we find out more about in the next episode. But those are kind of, you know, on the, on their own, um, kind of set up the first bits of, you know, magic realism mm-hmm. in the show. So I have a ton of notes here on that. Um, it's like the the difference between kind of surrealism and magic realism ultimately is uh, surrealism is kind of a focus on the like dichotomy between the conscious and the unconscious. Well, yeah, like for someone who like opposite spectrum of how you how well you know the genres. Like for me, I. I can guess what the difference of these genres would mean based on the words, but I don't, I'm not as familiar with like, okay, if you two, both of you filmmakers had to give me an example of something 
say like in pop culture that a lot of people would know about that's surrealist and something that's magic realist okay well surrealist probably the most relevant would be or the most like well-known is you know, david lynch's work <laughs> i mouthed right. i mouthed uh, david lynch to david lynch right okay so that's something yeah. that i understand because i've seen a few of his films and like half of twin peaks don't and then me and then and, magic realism i mean if i could interject one of a like yeah, a really yeah. recent example that i is just on my mind lately for some reason is like beast of the southern wild have you seen that movie no it was an awesome yeah, I, I, I haven't seen it in years. Gorgeous but. film. Um, or even something like, uh, what's the example you were going to give, Jonathan? Oh, well, I was going to get into a whole whole host of things here. But um, I mean, you know, the most probably the most famous example that kind of spawned it as, you know, a literary uh, phenomenon was uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez's mm. 100 Years of okay, Solitude. I- which apparently, apparently Netflix is making Whoa. into a series. I just read that. Which I'm skeptical uh-huh. about, but also quietly hopeful. Right. Um, I just finished but, that book, and uh, so now I have a good reference. Point. Yeah, you do. Yeah, the uh, a kind of like kind of what surrealism does is kind of take the familiar and make it unfamiliar. It kind of takes you know your common things. You know, surrealism is basically you know, the dream logic mm-hmm. of of something you know it takes something you recognize and makes it unrecognizable Mm -hmm. and then you know magic realism kind of takes you know the fantastic and puts it into a more recognizable context so they kind of they kind of do the opposite things but uh, i have an unpopular opinion and uh Ding, ding, ding. Unpopular opinion (laughs) (laughs) it's probably actually not it's probably like a very very tame opinion um but I am of the mind that a lot of contemporary horror would fit very nicely into the magic realism category. And of course, the only reason I give a I think- crap about horror is because I study it. Uh, and it's my favorite. <laughs> but so Aaron is our resident know. horror specialist. So. Yeah, Jonathan loves like likes horror too. So for sure, that's there. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't <laughs> yeah. even have an opinion. <laughs> you. Listen, you can. You can have an opinion. It's this show is gonna scare me. For sure. <laughs> oh, yes. I yeah. It, it definitely has uh, some scary yes. moments. And um, uh true horror is and the reason I say that is because it's a good um uh internal logic for understanding this difference that Jonathan's pulling out, mm-hmm. which is that it, you know, puts the magical or the fantastical into everyday life situations, mm-hmm. which is what horror typically does. Although there are definitely art house examples that are more surrealist. Yeah, I know there's, there's definitely, you know, a decent amount of crossover, like certain things that are, you know, like twin peaks definitely has its fair share of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think for me, distinguishing the two is maybe something I don't have a trained eye for yet. Well, maybe. And, and it's also, I mean, like all categorical boxes, right. it's, it, there's overlap and it's muddy. Like even genres right. are impossible. You can, I mean, there are entire courses that, that are at the university that are like just on genre and trying to define genre right. because you can, you, you kind yeah. of can't, which yeah. is the ultimate conclusion of any genre course. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then like another thing Lost does is it kind of like treads a line between yeah the magic realism and like science fiction as well absolutely because that's the other i saw a lot of things saying it was just like acclaimed as a sci-fi show yeah and there's yeah which is 
there are like a couple of episodes I can think of in later seasons where I would, as just an episode, a single episode, be like, well, that's just straight sci-fi, like hardcore sci-fi. But then uh, sci-fi has to have a very, um, a very cogent internal logic. Lost does not always. Right. Yeah. And like, I, I think a thing that Lost kind of does and doesn't do to varying degrees that kind of puts it in one camp or the other is that like it has a penchant to like explain things um like there is i was reading the the series bible and it talks about uh well, let me find i'm always unprepared with no like you're no you're so prepared that you have so, to look for your notes <laughs> yeah you um, control f those a, notes while you're doing it uh, there's a whole section where they talk about how they'll have rational explanations for everything, which doesn't exactly pan out. I, uh, and like even in even in interviews and stuff, like Lindelof and Q's kind of set them up for uh, for criticism by saying similar things, uh, which I think is a lot of a lot of the backlash that the show got from a lot of fans is it's kind of airing towards the magical instead of the scientific in explaining a lot of those things. Right. Um, I, I, I learned last week, actually, I was talking to a friend of mine who had listened to the first episode, uh, who she insists I reference her by her full name, um, which is, hang on, it's a long name, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Grisia Paulina, uh, I think Rodriguez Flores. I, I'm sorry, Paulina, I can't find the message with your full name in it right now. But uh, she pointed me towards a afterwards. book. <laughs> she pointed me towards a book uh, that was actually an early influence on the show. It's called The Invention of Morale um, by Adolfo Caceres. Um, it's an Argentinian, maybe. Um, he was good friends with uh, Jorge Luis Borges. Mm. Uh, growing up and kind of the, the book starts out the, the book is about a fugitive who's hiding out on this island so it already has you know some kind of you know parallels with lost and kate's story <laughs> i just um, realized australia is also <laughs> an island that's true actually. fugitives <laughs> right <laughs> but um yeah he's hiding out on this island and there's this series of uh unexplained events that happen on like this group of tourists appear kind of out of nowhere there are these like buildings that he finds on this otherwise like deserted island and uh, he hi- he hides away from them at first and just observes them and then eventually they just again mysteriously disappear and you know he's not sure what's going on and then eventually they come back he falls in love with this one woman he keeps seeing looking out to the like into the ocean and tries to talk to her and she just like straight up like blanks him like no like it's like he's not even there and he comes to discover that they're actually a so like you know this all plays out you know in sort of Without any explanation, it kind of plays out in an almost surrealist tone. And then when we get an explanation, it can either be, you know, magical or scientific. And 
it, yeah, so it, eventually he learns that this one guy, Morel, is a sci- like a mad scientist who created this device that records like every like the entire life force of what's happening around him and creates this like pro- looped projection basically mm-hmm. of all these people. And before he went to the island, he was warned of like the sickness that like kills people on the island, which is another thing that kind of crops up in uh, in Lost a little later. No, but that's in the season. Uh, <laughs> but um, also it um, also it you know it's a looped like a looped message which is you oh, know, that's, wait, already this is already up. yeah Ex- exactly yeah so like the, the, this whole novel is well, like a kind of i should have i should so read lost it. ripped it off eh? no i'm kidding <laughs> i mean no it, it plays out very differently but uh it, it definitely was a pretty big influence i think on the early as like the early yeah. inception of the of the show and uh, sure. like i was saying like i think a, a big um like that's that split between like the magical and the uh, the scientific is kind of a split within the fan base as well. Like well, I mentioned myth- that and the mythological. I mean, I want this Greek thing shook something loose for me. I mean, like the creators. I don't know that much about Lindelof himself, but I know that it's clear to me from the show and from rewatching it and talking to both of you that the creators are just total like literature nerd. Oh yeah, totally. Um, which I kind of love, but. Um, this there is this sort of man versus myth kind of um uh another binary kind of thing operating and i just realized while we were talking now that john locke is kind of like okay so bear with me <laughs> i'm gonna have to make a case for this because it's not 100 percent cogent yet but i think and i'm gonna watch for that uh john locke is kind of being set up as almost like he's a willing Heracles or Hercules figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I was like thinking about the, the Herculean labors, these 12 labors that are in the myth, which are a kind of penance served by Heracles. Okay. Um, okay. You're, you're going to have to, you're gonna have to explain that yeah. a little more. Cause I don't know I shit to, about Greek mythology. Oh my God. Okay. So bear, okay. No, you're so you're going to have to tell me cause I, I, I mean, I, I never studied, I, like I never literally never studied like, any literature in university oh, and this I, is wild okay yeah, and i saw hercules the disney movie yeah but that's okay because it's actually i mean it <laughs> I it, it touches I on it well so heracles is the greek name it was romanized to be hercules which is okay. the figure we all know and love hercules oh and that, and that, that show anyways. remember the 90s show hercules <laughs> oh no i don't remember but jonathan kevin sorbo yeah, i love it okay so in the classic, um, obviously, this is the like uh, Sparknotes version. This okay. is the abridged version of Greek mythology. <laughs> but yeah. in essence, um, Heracles is a demigod figure. Okay. So uh, he's the son of a god and a more son mortal. of Zeus. Yeah, son of Zeus, okay. and then also of mortal mm-hmm. uh, because Zeus, you know, was right. Zeus got around. Okay, so Zeus got around. <laughs> I heard that part. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, the, the Herculean labors are something that were presented to him. Uh, as a way of like proving that he was a demigod. Okay. Um, and so there there are twelve, and I'm gonna list them. Okay. So okay. he had to slay uh, this big fancy lion okay. called the Nemean lion. Okay. Slay the nine headed Hydra. 
Okay. And the notion of the Hydra, I will not say more, but comes back in law specifically. Yes, it does. Um, He had to capture this hind, which is, anyway, that's a whole thing. It's the, and then he had to capture a boar. Oh, that already came up in this episode. You see, he had to clean the Augean stables in a single day, which is a big deal. He had to slay some fancy magical birds. Okay. Capture a Cretan bull. Okay. Um, steal some mares. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, he had to obtain the girdle of Hippolyta, who's the queen of the Amazons. It's spicy. Uh-huh. He had to obtain the cattle of the three-headed bodied, three-bodied giant. He did do a lot of stealing. Yes, steal the three, <laughs> steal three of the golden apples. Okay, and then he had to capture and bring back Cerberus, who is a three-headed dog. Okay, okay. And, and that's already and come the, up. A and the bit reason too. this uh, shook loose for me now is because I was thinking about Vincent, sweet old Vincent, mm-hmm. the dog, who for some reason survives everything. And I was like, thankfully, I was, well, and there's you know, dogs. Dogs are symbolic in literature most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why there's tropes around dogs. There's tropes of, you know, the dog doesn't survive the horror movie or right. like the dog will show you the way or a dog saves the day or right. dogs can tell who's good and bad. Right. Um, Which comes up in in Lindelof's other series, The Leftovers. Oh, interesting. Actually. Okay. So dogs are a big deal. And I was like, why Vincent? Like, why, why this dog? Vincent's such a cute I know, he's such a cutie. And so <laughs> when um, John is seen in episode three making a dog whistle and then bringing Vincent yes. back, I'm like, A, how the fuck did he know how to make a dog whistle? He knows a lot. He, he knows was preparing for a walkabout. Yeah, he was preparing for a walkabout, so he knew. Yeah. But B, <laughs> what is the symbolic significance of a person who is already set up as a kind of outcast from the group yeah. getting along with the kid and the dog? Mm-hmm. Like, what is going on here? Mm. And so I think... Um, Hercules. Exactly. Hercules. So I genuinely believe that this is kind of a, a I don't good know, analogy. I, well, and I cannot imagine. I have no idea what Damon Lindelof was thinking if this would have been conscious. But we've already seen the boar and the dog, and some of the other ones are like almost. And this Hydra thing really does come back. You're just gonna have to trust and me. And he's like, also, also, authorial intent is irrelevant. The author is dead. Thank you, Roland Barthes. No, we're not going by a. We're, <laughs> I, listen, Bart himself, Bart. Wrote Camera Lucida, which is the most authorally like influenced thing I've ever read in my life. So we're so to sh- no, I, 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 I'm, be, I'm being primarily facetious. Of course, of course you are. I know you are. But you um, should, the <laughs> subtitle of this podcast should be primarily facetious. Primarily facetious. <laughs> yeah. Cause. So, anyways, that is my very shaky, very no, I like early uh, little. Po- I think that's apt. I think we should look yeah, out for I that. posit that there is some more Greek stuff sprinkled throughout, but I need to... John is just going to have to take uh, your word right. for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can say anything about Greek mythology and you'll believe me. Like there's a McDonald's. It's true. And, yeah. Um, I have... Let's talk about wigs. Um, I will, and I have one more thing to say about okay, magical one more realism. Thing, uh, so after we recorded the first episode of this podcast last week, I went out for a little park socially distant hang and I was telling my friends about this and I was like okay we're doing this podcast and uh then I was talking about how like my continuity fixation and my friend uh Lee who has seen all this was like I have some news for you oh he was like like, if you are looking for logic just be prepared to be 
disappointed. Inter- well, I don't know. And so this is like, I don't know if those were his exact words, Lee, if you're listening, which he did listen to the first one. So shouts out to our fan. Uh, <laughs> but like, I apologize if I've misquoted him. But our fan, the singular. idea, I think in the, in the group was, yeah, uh, was like, like maybe let go of trying to explain everything, which is probably fair yeah, to I mean, protect my heart. Yeah. So I will say, uh-huh. take heart because watching season six, holy shit, do they ever tie up a lot of loose ends? Do they? I want to, I want to talk about once again, the context for the show. And, um, you know, the one thing that streaming has changed is the ability to analyze as we are doing now. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can go back to an episode. You, you can watch the very end of a series, mm-hmm. go back and rewatch the first episode and decide what they kept in and what they didn't. Right. Immediately. Right. In 2010, um, probably unless you're Jonathan and you've been torrenting <laughs> since you were two <laughs> seconds old, <laughs> but, um, uh, you're probably not doing that. So mm-hmm. I was thinking about this, this notion of fan disappointment mm-hmm. and fan outrage. And I remember so clearly there's sort of icky reaction that lots of people gave to the final episode and most people uh, yeah, most, most people and we'll you get there a, a, a we're a minority yeah. we are and we'll get there when we get there and i know that but and i don't want to project this too much for you mm-hmm. but i will say um watching season six i am absolutely flabbergasted to find that there is a lot of very clear evidence that they were already thinking about the ending when they were writing season one. They um, th- there are interviews with Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse where they talk about how they had been pushing for an ending. They only wanted the series to go three seasons. Right. Yeah, um, they had been pushing uh, for that. But yeah, they had absolutely been pushing that from the beginning. Uh, and this, the network just didn't want, they were like, why, why the fuck would we, you know, end this super popular show, right. you know, after three seasons, yeah. it doesn't like, I mean, that's super common now, but like back then mm-hmm. they, you know, they had to really push for it. And, and network once they got yeah. its own beast. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so they got, um, I think they were pushing into season three and they were like, they, the network was see, starting to see the backlash and they were like, oh shit, we were like, they were right mm-hmm. this entire time. So they wanted the network were like, okay, do nine seasons. And nine. they were just like, what the fuck are you talking about? That is way too many seasons. Mm-hmm. Like we wanted to end this at like three, maybe four. So they eventually like through, you know, a long drawn out. And a strike. I, I think... Yeah. Well, there was the strike as well. The writer's strike kind of cut a lot of stuff short for season three. But like the negotiations that took place like during season three, like for the just for Lost itself, kind of like eventually talked the network down to to six seasons. And like they still had to like, at least with that you know endpoint, they were able to pace the show a lot better and like is in seasons two and three, you get a lot of filler mm-hmm. episodes. At which point, and... maybe doing more than two episodes. Oh, yeah. We <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. Per episode even. Um, I have one thing to say about continuity. Yes. So on the, so Lee was saying Sorry, maybe yes. let go of some of that and then you. Right. So I have, uh, I boasted way too early last week that I would probably find a continuity error in every episode. And I don't actually think I have <laughs> many or any for these. But I have I, one. I have I have um, kind of a weird opposite. Okay, so in the episode three, where the the officer gets killed, 
or like he dies because the marshal, the marshal. Yeah. Because like, like Sawyer shoots him and then it's not enough. And then like, uh, Jack has to go finish the job. We assume he likes, we assume he like smothers him or something, whatever he does. Right. Okay. So I was reading about this and apparently, and and this ties in what you're saying, Aaron, about how they plan ahead. Like, you know, the writers are thinking ahead. Like they, they are, I'm not saying these writers were never worried about continuity, but apparently they were worried. The actor that plays Sawyer and the writers were both worried about how Josh Holloway. Uh, Josh Holloway brought it up, and apparently the showrunner was worried about um, how they were going to explain how he missed, like how he not missed, but apparently he like like shoots him and it doesn't quite kill him or whatever. Yeah. And they were like, "How are we?" Yeah, he like he gets the he gets the lung inside of the heart. Yeah, or and then like that. so they were worried about how they were going to explain that. And in the notes, and I don't know if this makes any sense to you guys, but they decided to make his character farsighted, hyperopic, and oh. and in a future episode, apparently, gets glasses yeah. delivered to him. I yeah. th- one, one one of my favorite sequences in the entire Is series. Is when he gets glasses. <laughs> okay. it's so important. Yeah, it's so, great. In my head, I'm like, and and this a lot coming from me. I'm like. You didn't need that's too much continuity. <laughs> you could have easily walked in and just accidentally shot him in the wrong place, just being an idiot. Or he's not an idiot, but he could have easily thought, like, oh, this is the heart and gotten the lung. Like to me, when they explained it that way, I was like, that's fine. That's not that's not a continuity error. That's fine. Um, and now I realize like, they're obsessed. Oh, they've they've uh, they've obsessed. So this is why. The, yeah. uh, first- well, that's an actor thing too, right? I mean, right. here's the thing. I because of the division of labor on a film set. I think you get like everyone gets a chance. Everyone gets their chance to overthink <laughs> yeah. about everything. And it's right. a bunch of I mean, this is this is like the beautiful thing about filmmaking and also the fucking weirdest thing about filmmaking is yes. that the writers have their own ideas, which are then seen by a whole production team who have their own ideas, which then gets into the hands of an actor who inevitably has their own. Ideas. And the director. And, and then the, the director. Whoever, and then yeah. there's a different director for every episode. And then there's script supervisors on set who are right. in charge of continuity directly on the monitor. Right. Them. So the whole thing is so hilarious because I can imagine Josh Holloway just being like, no, this matters. <laughs> yeah. And then apparently the writer also <laughs> thought it mattered. So they bring in the fact that he's farsighted, but uh, like to me, that's why the first continuity error I brought up of the first episode with the, the plane thing and how um, what's his face Charlie's too not in the right place for having landed with them in the middle of the plane. Mm-hmm. That one makes me more upset knowing <laughs> that they're this upset that they <laughs> oversaw that. But anyway, it's fine. Uh, it, it is interesting to know now how obsessive the they were and uh, that the like you know that this to them was a continuity error that I don't think most people would have even caught if I did, if I dare say, because I didn't catch it. <laughs> With the Charlie thing too, I think it, it might also come down to like the, the shooting of the pilot was really rushed. Like it, the the rest of the series was shot, you know, in a much, right. much more traditional kind of like TV mode. Whereas the, they they only had like, I think it was like, three months or something like that to get everything so I, together oh, 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 and like shoot the pilot. As many continuity errors as I so boastfully thought I might. <laughs> I there is fine. one really funny one. I have one for you. From these apps? I think it's from these episodes. Okay. I'm only like, I'm I'm probably one or two ahead of these. And it's so. a very, it's a really funny one. And I don't, and here's the thing. It might not even be an error because uh, there's always character and like an actor intent in line. And 
there's always a way to retroactively explain. Of course. So like, which I'm like, not a fan of, like, as in I am, but I'm also like, if it's an error, it's an error, own up to it. Anyway, so go ahead. But one of my favorite ones is now, and here's the thing, I might be spoiling this, but it's only like one episode ahead because they just caught the boar. Yeah. Right. So there's a tiny line where Jack and Kate are talking and he offers her some and she says, I'm a vegetarian. Okay. But there are flashbacks in the Australian Outback where she's happily eating, eating bacon. bacon and eggs. <laughs> yes. I, I I always took the the vegetarian line as, as a like joke almost. Her yeah, that's how I always. Well, me too. And obviously, that. when you're when you're prete- like pretending not to be a fugitive in the Australian Outback, you're not going to be like, oh, I'm not taking your bacon. Like, uh, okay. I literally had to stop being a vegetarian when I got a job in the Australian yeah. Outback. Yeah. I am. No, I'm kidding. Um, I wasn't on the run from the law, but I might as well have been. Um, (laughs) One. ah, God, now I'm trying to remember if this is in this episode. Is the woman. This is at the top of the episode. This might be episode five that is swimming and drowns. Is that episode five? That's not in these, is it? That's yeah, that's episode five. But that's okay. I mean, that's okay. I'm going to save it for next time. I have a a continuity error. You made a promise. We're sticking to it. I'll I'll stay with my. my far-sightedness being too much. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> well, but you'll see later. It'll be it'll be worth it because that episode with the glasses is so perfect. I, well, I'm excited because I yep. didn't even realize that I had struck on something when I found that little tidbit of trivia. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and it was written in because of Josh Holloway. So thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. More reasons to like him. So, so Sarah, what was your uh, what was your point you were going to bring up? With regards to cheese. Okay, do we want to do that now? We yeah, I'm, di- I'm dying for the wig conversation. Yeah, I mean, we're an hour in, so we might as well. Uh... Okay, because this can be this can be long. And you know what? We're going to continue this in another episode, I'm sure, because I'm not going to be able to not bring it up. Okay, so <laughs> I was talking to my friends the other night about this podcast, and then uh, quite a few of them had seen, quite a few of us, and there was five of us there, and I think three had seen Lost before. And my fiance, Greg, and I were there, and he's watching it with me. So there's a few few lost heads are kicking around. And, um, okay. So the first question was, and I'm just going to rattle off a few questions. Like we don't have to answer them because I think some of the answers are obvious. The first question that came up in this conversation was, do you think the script is meant to be cheesy? And this is something we talked about last week about how like a lot of the lines are a little bit like, well, that's not just a bear. That's a polar bear. So, <laughs> so do you think the script is meant to be cheesy? If so, do you think, all the actors knew this. So do you think some are playing it wholeheartedly? And do you think some are playing it knowing it's supposed to be cheesy? And then if we think, let's just say there's a world where everybody on the set knew that this was supposed to be a little bit cheesy and it was a little bit campy, is it retroactively giving too much credit to the show to try to justify the cheese uh, by saying that everybody knew? Okay, so basically what I'm trying to get at is... When when is cheese good? Is it when people are intending to do it, or is it when it just happens? Well, first of all, the film nerd in me is uh-huh. cringing at you conflating cheese with camp, but that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> I, I do I do understand the difference mostly. I think yeah. Well, no one does really. All, yeah, yeah. All I, I don't think camp as much as anyone can. I think, um, but. Well, we maybe should, not. We should but... just do a, a dictated reading of notes on camp. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. Next episode. Uh, Sontag. No, but I, uh, but I, I just, I want to say that there, I think that there are some cheesy elements to the show and I think there are campy elements to the show. Yeah. Which is sure. kind of why I bring up this conversation of like, 
when is it, is it important that it was intentional? Is it, does that matter? Like the whole idea of like, Zorro. does it matter? Oh, sorry. The dog is, um, <laughs> sorry, Zorro scratching. The dog's having a little bit of a scratch. Once again, <laughs> um, I think, I think a lot of what comes across as cheesy on the show is definitely not intentional. Like I feel like the writers just aren't that's, great that's my, dialogue that's writers. Oh, that's my I, thought too. I disagree. So, okay. So I have two quotes to start us off really quickly Okay, from a few things that I read online. I just, upon Googling like lost cheese, um, <laughs> because this is, this is my first, this is all my first reactions are that it's cheesy. And I think like the, and I think like there are some points we were saying it's 2004 television. So, you know, like they're, they're trying to appeal to this like audience and then like yeah. eventually the ABC audience. So I think some of it, I think is truly just them trying to write drama and, and whatever. Okay. So Boston globe said it's the cheesiest show to ever change the face of television mm-hmm. and <laughs> that it has a B movie feel to it, which I would agree. And again, my question is, is this necessarily bad? Because I think cheese gets this bad rep, but like, is it bad? You know, maybe it's, is cheese good? Is cheese bad? This is my question. And then the second quote was from USA today that says that, and it's a positive quote, even though it starts sounding bad. It says an outlandish ser- Saturday serial setup. And then they imbued it with real characters and honest emotions without sacrificing any of the old fashioned fun. So, yeah. So, so I have a thought on that. Kind of, this is a weird balance. It's a weird balance. I do have one thought, which is this is the kind of show that risks in every moment being completely overwrought. Right. Like completely, <laughs> completely just tragic and fucked up and sad and there's death everywhere and a lot of sad people who have hard lives. Mm-hmm. And I 100% truly believe that all the funny lines are either a writer or an actor being like, yeah, we got to lift this up a bit. It's too much. You think? I do. I genuinely believe. 100%? Well, no. I think (laughs) obviously in a writer's room when you're like trying to write an episode six hours before you go to camera, like obviously bad, like weird stuff is going to happen. And some of it's going to be um, unintentionally cheesy. Some Like sometimes. Because you don't have time. Like, I mean, television's, network television is such a like, it's like, it's like a news cycle almost. Yeah. You have overtired people sitting around mm-hmm. in a room writing together um, and doing script changes right up to the last minute when mm-hmm. someone's in a makeup chair and they get handed a pink draft. Like, you know what I mean? Right. And so I do like know that that's true and know that bad stuff is going to slip through. However, I don't think it's fair to say that these like super experienced network writers like aren't good at writing dialogue. No, <laughs> like I, I genuinely, I mean, I don't I, that's what I mean. Is cheese necessarily bad? I don't. No, no, but bad. but 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 Jonathan said like I like come, like I'm like I'm like come on, J.K. That's silly. Like if I if I can if I can defend myself here, podcast. Please defend yourself. <laughs> I I think. You know, writers have different strengths, and I think the strengths of the writers on Lost are more in the lines of story structure, in the lines of action, in the lines of mythology than, you know, I'm not saying the dialogue's bad. I'm saying that it's not their... Intent. Like, it's it's not their main focus. Oh, sure. It's not... Uh, and, like, yeah, there, would... there are definitely examples, like, there are definitely examples of like lines that are 100% intentionally like when they when the boars are like 
rummaging around in the fuselage yeah. and Sawyer has his big, uh, you know, flashlight. He's like, I'm going to shine some light on this right. thing. Yeah, like that's, that's, yeah, that's a cheesy yeah. line, but it's an intentionally yeah. silly, like, yeah. you know. And, and I, yeah. but then there's like the stuff I pointed out last, like the last time on the last episode where they kind of add stuff in where there doesn't need to be a line, like in, yeah. in this episode, um, when the, uh, I think it's when Hurley, notices that the marshal is like dying or whatever is like he's having like a coughing fit or something like that he's like uh guys and like like he like the way he reacts like obviously he needs to have a reaction but like i felt like his reaction i can't remember the exact line now was except like there there was more to his reaction than there needed to be or something sure, or, yeah well and i wonder how much of it is uh sometimes uh, filler ad lib yeah I like I think yeah. that yeah also, there's room for that too and I do think you're right I, I mean I see I totally hear what you're saying obviously about like the strengths of different writers no, no, and different I think this groups. is a good angle for the podcast if, you, <laughs> if, if I, you were if I completely I just, just so the listeners know I despise Jonathan Kennedy I <laughs> we hate each other <laughs> when I brought this up with my friends in the park uh, I we sort of landed on this conclusion that you can never land on unless you interviewed everyone and everyone was telling the truth. But the conclusion we like guessed on was that the writers were probably aware of the cheese. Maybe not every actor was. So like there are some actors that, and maybe they did eventually, but in the first couple episodes, it feels- Naveen Andrews is pretty sincere. Saeed. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's like a, a couple episodes, uh, or a couple moments, sorry, in this episode- Three, where they're going out to see if they can get the radio si- and they find the radio signal or yeah. whatever and um those people are sitting around a fire and it's like sawyer saeed kate um charlie and shannon i think uh whoever maybe, finds maybe or boone and shannon yeah. Boone, boone's there yeah because yeah. he takes the gun and blah blah anyway <laughs> so but there's this like moment i was re-watching today and they're they're like we can't tell the others about this it'll just scare them like Saeed says something like that and then Kate goes so we lie and I was like I don't know (laughs) it is just like it's just so maybe I would say the writers knew what they were doing uh but there's just some moments that I bet you like because of the constraints of of network television they were appealing to an audience and let's just say one more let's extrapolate let's pretend everybody on the set like down to well, the last the volunteers to the top. Yeah. Does the audience. So I think a lot of the lost audience might not have at the time, maybe not in the majority, but I'd say there's lots of people that watched it for the genuine 2004 drama. Yeah. Well, and there is, yeah, no, there totally. is something funny about lost too. And actually this ties in super nicely to our earlier conversation about surrealism, magic mm-hmm. realism, yada, yada, yada. And also you brought up the notion of style and of, um, and I would project that even further, style and form. Um, there is something, uh, oh God, follow me through on this thought, you guys, okay? okay. There is something very surreal about how real people interact. Yes. So, okay, and I mean, this is something that Lost plays with, and I think it feeds into the cheesiness, and whether it's intentional or not, I mean, whatever. Uh, Ro- Roland Bart wouldn't care. What? <laughs> If only Roland weren't here with us today. Uh, But he, so like, what I mean by that is how we as creative entities 
try to imitate life often is very unrealistic and that Mm -hmm. we feel there needs to be some kind of actual logic to when people say things and why they say them Uh and how they say them. Whereas your average conversation is a long rambling, like not of total nonsense. And people... And people say strange things. And they interrupt each other or they take long pauses. Exactly. They, and they say yeah. dumb shit and they repeat stuff and, they, <laughs> and they, they're, they're over-expositional. Uh, yeah. And so I can imagine a world in which, like, maybe some of the cheesiness comes through because the writers are trying to be so naturalistic in some ways. So Maybe. when so when someone like Saeed says we can't tell the others and Kate goes so we lie right it's like that's something that you would say to emphasize the point in real life and then to express that yeah. you don't oh, agree so do you see what I mean I do but for me I had the opposite reaction I'm gonna have to mull that over because for me yeah. it was a line that you would never hear in real life because everyone in the room would be like in their head they'd be like okay so we have to lie but no one would actually voice it it was voiced for television to make it like to drill the point right. home for the audience i don't know As so it's in, hard like, to say right yeah, it's, I because mean, you never know for right? me if i were a television writer i would see that line and go that's too over expositional like he just said that right <laughs> and but in real life it's totally it reasonable happen. that somebody like kate austin right might be like oh so we're just gonna fucking lie to everyone except that's what she would say well, you know, but they can't say that. Right, <laughs> and then I think about like, okay, so as I mentioned last time we were watching Fleabag, uh, I'm watching Fleabag at home with my partner. That's the proverbial we. Uh, so <laughs> watching Fleabag and again, this is new. This is like in the last two years, this has been written and shot. Uh, and this is kind of of this new TV where a not like, and we talked about this before. I won't beat it to death, but not made for network television made originally to- made for stage. Yes, right, right, right. And now made made knew that people could binge it all at once, you yeah. know, quick, short seasons, whatever. Yeah. Um, and this, I find like the dialogue aside from whatever the form of Fleabag, she does have some, she breaks the fourth wall a lot, talks to the camera a lot. But when she talks to characters in the room, um, it's pretty uh, na- natural in a way. Like there's a lot of the weird things that people will do. There's a lot of the swearing, the interruption, the confusion, like the way a real conversation might go, like people get confused, they have to repeat themselves. And I think that's sort of like a style that more modern TV has been doing. And I, we don't see that as I much. I think the uh, the way like sh- series are made now versus the w- way they were made back then is really good entry point into like kind of understanding that because yeah. a lot of like the way the way Lost was shot it's not meant to be serialized. There's, you know, they're obviously, you know, the long running like thematic things and like mysteries and whatnot, but each episode was designed to be, you know, self-contained. So, so there's um, a certain level of, you know, there, there needs to be a certain level of exposition so that, uh, you know, someone could watch it who comes in. Yeah. Could could watch it on its own without having to know, you know, what happened last episode or like two episodes ago. Because, okay. So my, my counterpoint, which is not a disagreement, but a but a a, a nuance. Different, a nuance <laughs> in this conversation about Fleabag is that the creator Phoebe Waller Bridge uh-huh. also writes uh, and co-created this other show, Killing Eve, yep. which is based on a series of novels. Yep. So uh, not by her, obviously. Yep. So the this is actually a better corollary, I think, because. Um, Killing Eve? Yeah, Killing okay. Eve is a better... I have not seen Killing Eve. I know I'm supposed to. It's a better... Well, it's a very good show. You'll, yes. you'll like it, actually. Yeah. It's a better comparison for something like Lost because it's still 
exists in the realm of network television. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a weekly released series. Mm-hmm. It is a drama that has these mm-hmm. sometimes comedic undertones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's actually written for TV, whereas Fleabag was a one-woman show that Fever Waller-Bridge did yes. for a number of years and then created as this separate entity. Yeah. Um, and stylistically, they're also more similar because it's um, Killing Eve is structured like a drama. Yeah. Whereas uh, Fleabag is a kind of a, well, it resists genre mm-hmm. a little bit, but it's kind of almost like a cringe comedy. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. It's a comedy. It's a dramedy. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, what's interesting is that everything you're saying that's different about that style is not so different in Killing Eve. Right. And and it, and so this really isn't, and it's, I'm glad you brought it up because it, it really illustrates how much um, style, platform, audience, and genre matter for yeah. all forms of writing. Yeah, and for in, sure. And in Lost, I guess the question that maybe we're sort of all dancing around and not haven't maybe gotten to is like, what the fuck did they think their audience was? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, and obviously they found it because it it ended up being such an important cultural landmark and such an, a big success in terms of television history but i do wonder what like in pitch meetings in the writer room Mm -hmm. in uh, even on set when they were directing like who did they imagine was watching the show (laughs) which maybe is (laughs) is at the uh at the core of of what we're really asking yeah i would agree with that because just in general like i wonder who the audience of the show was without with being really early into it and then i think about like who i thought i knew the episode the show was made for, which would be like, I just picture like 2004 mainstream. And then I don't picture that when I think of you two and right. you two are big fans of, of the show. <laughs> so like, I think like, and I said this last week when I found out that Jonathan loved the show, that made me think of the show differently. Cause I was like, Oh, okay. Well, he likes it. Then it's not like to, in my head, it was like only people who want it like 2004 drama bros. Like, right. And like, that's the, those two words don't necessarily go together. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And there was, there was definitely a lot of that as well. Like my roommates at the time right. were super into lost as well. And like they're, you know, one of them was in, uh, I mean, they're both like hockey players. One of them was in uh, an accounting program at Mun. Like right. total, like you know, not the kind of people who are not, into like. Let's weird just shit. say yeah, <laughs> Jonathan was not in an accounting program and not, which is who I more so. It was just sort of like, and whatever your type of person is, I think that's probably the success of the show must have had to do with the fact that it was able to span different audiences. Yeah. If I had to guess, because yeah, absolutely. how else, how the heck else do you do it unless lots of people like it? And so. Th- yeah. It's, it's yeah. honestly really hard to like overstate how much of like a cultural event lost was yeah. like everyone, like lost was fucking Can huge. Get everyone loved somebody lost. And in from the it was... and interview somebody who was like, Maybe I'm just trying to think. We should have a guest someday that watched this yeah. as it went live and yeah, yeah. and and see what people's different. Because this is, I think, and Aaron, you nailed it. Like this is my big thing. Is like, okay, is it cheesy? Is it not cheesy? Does that matter? Did they know that? Okay, and then that eventually leads to the question of like, well, who are they writing for? Who are they what? writing? For? Yeah, Lindelof. 
We need to hear from you. <laughs> we should somebody get Damon Lindelof on yeah, the phone. That shouldn't to. be a problem for I us. I mean, it's probably not that difficult. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I Jonathan can tweet at him. Honestly, he well. does tons of. He's he's not on Twitter anymore. He uh, he he left Twitter shortly after the. Uh, after the finale because of all of the like <laughs> ridiculous people stuff tweeting. people were yeah. tweeting at him, I guess. Ryan, that's brutal. Uh, there's, yeah, there's an interview where he talks about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, okay, the I, I brought up the series Bible again. Uh, there's a whole section here about like how they like not necessarily what they thought their audience was, but how they perceived the show. Yeah. So um, if I can just read a little of that. Yeah. Uh, Okay, it's new and exciting, but what's the franchise? In other words, what does an episode look like? True, Lost doesn't fit into any specific category of a franchise drama, and this makes it tricky to see what the show is. But when you take a step back and look at the big picture, it becomes clear that we employ many franchises. It's a medical show. It's a cop show. It's a lawyer show. It's a character drama. And they you know, go on to explain you know, different ways in how you know how each of those things fit. Uh, there's a really good line in here. Mm-hmm. All the stories that populate a season of the OC play out here on our island, <laughs> albeit with much higher stakes. Oh, <laughs> stakes. Oh, which God. which really makes me wish that Death Cab for Cutie had performed on the island. Oh my God. The stakes are high <laughs> in the OC, lest we forget. Um, <laughs> well, you said that say? I thought you meant about me. I thought you were saying it like, well, obviously it's an island, but you meant the stakes are high on the OC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The like, stakes are high. <laughs> Remember, any, like, what you say? Anyone well, want to Oh my god, yes. I mean, <laughs> I mean don't get me wrong. Oh, there are several. There are several big shootings that happen throughout the series, and I'm only going to be able to imagine them with that what soundtrack now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. So lost. Yeah, lost is a soap. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, soap. I think. Um, I think what's happening. For me is like and i like i am a much different person than i was in prime time before because obviously i was a teenager then but for <laughs> me it's like you know when you're a teen especially when you're like an you're trying to be like an alt teen in a small town like we all were and it like <laughs> makes you completely unoriginal actually which is hilarious yes and, and you yes especially when you're like like all 14 us. or 15 and you're trying to be different or you're trying to figure out like, you know, you have this, like, identity of, like, I'm different and why, and then you try to force it, and you're like, ah, I'm different because I'm quirky, or whatever, and you're like, whatever. Okay, so here you find out that's yeah. just a bad male fantasy. Yeah, yeah, and so every every <laughs> through, like, this, like, you know, who am I? Every And I don't even mean alt teens. Every t- single teen goes through that, of course. So in my head, I had this, like, old idea that, like, Lost isn't – Lost is for, like, general audiences who like soaps, and it's for, like, you know, all the bros and, like – whatever and and so what if it is like you know what i mean like there's this like part of uh getting older when you're like oh i'm allowed to like things that general (laughs) like and this is not yeah that's real mature watching that and and i don't that sounds (laughs) condescending but i mean genuinely i think there is a turning point in people's lives as consumers of pop pop art yes which, of which this is an example yeah wherein and, yeah. they suddenly realize like it's oh okay. wait i actually don't need to like be snobby enough yeah to for some reason protect <laughs> this just on the basis that that's like, popular yeah and then yeah. that happened to me uh originally with music like i i for me i think my my expertise is more in music and like television is something that 
I came to a little bit later than music maybe, but so for me, it was more like realizing that I actually genuinely enjoy like Taylor Swift or for example, or whatever it is, right. I don't have to be always listening to whatever some like sounds of a saw in someone's garage like neutral like <laughs> anyway yeah so uh <laughs> i'm just trying to think of the most obscure sound uh, so so maybe that's like maybe and i again i'm working this out out loud if you can't tell by my stream of consciousness but like maybe that's it maybe it's like Okay, so we, we can go de- deep. We can be like, yeah, he's inspired by Lynch and philosophy and literature and it's Lindelof and he's a genius. Or like maybe it's just a soap <laughs> and it's fine. And it's, it's both. Spoiler alert, it's both. It's spoiler alert. Yeah, it, no, it's, like, it's absolutely yeah. like they, it, it definitely like as they were pitching mm-hmm. it, like as they were conceiving the show, you know, they wanted it to be all of those things. Yeah, which is maybe why it's so transcendent as a cultural artifact. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think, yeah. and and I'm going to leave this thought here. I don't think we have near enough time to talk about it now. But I think that's why I would assume that um, interpretations of the ending are, here's my uh, opinion that might be controversial. <laughs> controversial opinion alert. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I think interpretations of the ending are probably all valid. Like in yeah. terms of like, like the way that people interpret art, there's obviously we've seen two obvious ways you can go about this show. Mm-hmm. Is it just a soap that's like just fun to watch or is it more something that you can like analyze deeply? And I assume that either interpretation is fine. Yeah. And yeah. is it about science? Is it about magic? Is it about good? Is it about evil? Yeah. I mean, this, like, this is what I mean yeah. again by like the show is symbolic of the conflict between binaries and why they don't work and also deals with them thematically. Yeah. Dialectics. Yeah, exactly. Whoa, guys. <laughs> Just to bring it back to Mark. Well, yeah. we always have to bring it back we to Mark. We have to end on okay? a Mark Listen, this- <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Roland Bart and Mark. Uh- <laughs> Are our <laughs> God, who's my touchstone? I got to figure that out. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, were, were there any, we did this last episode, so I kind of want to keep doing this each episode, Sarah. Were there any like questions, mm. mysteries, etc., that you were left with at the end of these two episodes? I obviously want to know why, why Kate was in trouble. That's just like a plot yes. line. Yeah. Well, um, you can be, they can be yeah. questions about plot. Yeah. Um, yeah, and this is like kind of like this is what the show leaves you wanting more. I want to know what happened with her storyline. I want to know more about Locke's storyline, like you know, I, which I assume we're finding out more about their backgrounds in every episode. Um, no, you learn nothing more. Hey, that's, that's it. Yeah, e- each episode, you know, kind of focuses on different a singular character most of the time, so which is it kind of unfolds to, uh, over. Uh, notice, yeah. Um, want to know what else? I guess we're starting to, um, well, like the the ma- like obviously this is like blown wide open about the magic of the island. So we want to know like how yeah. the heck that happened to Locke, and if you know, like, or even like, what do we even get to know about that? Um, it's still pretty early though, so I think most things are a mystery at this point. Um, right. So yeah, just uh, just wait. do you have any burgeoning theories about the island? No, oh my god, Kay. no, because like. I, like I know it's so early, but I just wanted to ask. I think I'm also weighed down by all this idea that, like, like I don't even remember if the ending I remember. We've determined that doesn't matter, but like I've got all these, um, I've had all these conversations now about Lost from people who have seen it, and I'm wondering if 
it's worth even like at this point, I'm like, I, it's probably not worth even trying to guess because I, I right. will have no idea because everyone's like, oh, just you wait. So I'm like, okay. I'm not <laughs> but that's, that's put that to the side though, because a lot of the fun of lost is kind of trying to figure it out as you go okay. along. That was another yeah. thing that I think really drew people right. in was well, trying to theorize, you know, what, what is the Island? You know, what's going on? Did somebody spoil um, it for you? You said in, well, I don't you think, I actually don't remember who it was. Like I might have even just read it online yeah. or heard it. And it doesn't matter. I mean, the statute of limitations on that. Yes, exactly. Is. Like it was, <laughs> and I think I literally said at the time, I'll never watch it. Go ahead. Like it was something like that. So right. like, it was my own fault. But um, I don't. And now I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to say it because I'm afraid I'm wrong. And I'm just. I don't even want to put it out there. But. You can say it to me privately. When well, like there's also this really weird thing happened this week at my work. I we have this platform at work where um, it's like fa- Facebook for work. Like it's owned by Facebook, but it's called Workplace, and it's like a platform where you can chat with your coworkers and make like relevant posts or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I finished up at this job, so I made a little post being like, "Thank you all so much." Like, and we work with lots. Of, I won't talk too much about the specifics of the job. I don't want to say the name of it, but like we have a lot of clients that also use this platform. Mm-hmm. So I was like thank you all so much uh like it's been a blast see you later and then someone comment one of our clients commented on it and was like um and I, i'm not i don't even want you to confirm or deny if this is relevant but okay, i'm not gonna someone commented on it so strange that it was last week right after we released this first episode and said sarah see you in another life just like lost <laughs> and i was like what and then I, I replied to him and I was like, that's really strange you say that because I'm rewatching Lost for the first time. And then he never replied. And I was like, okay, he either has listened to this podcast. Shouts out if you are because. But then I was also like, see you in another life. God damn it. If that's a spoiler, I'm going to be so mad. But I'm just trying to ignore them all. <laughs> Very broad thing to say. I wouldn't worry because genuinely like don't. No, I know. I wouldn't worry. No, I, I like it does seem at this point that if I had to make a guess that there's like, like we said, something's going on with time, like that thing's been playing for 16 years. So like, I don't know, like, you know, the, the logical side of you wants to be like, OK, there's like something at the there's some sort of like magnetic field or, or like volcano <laughs> sort of energy. You know what I mean? Like there's some sort of tectonic plate, who knows, like some sort of weird like physical thing is happening. And then the other side of you wants to be like it's straight up just magic or there's some sort of like spooky ghost. Or, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. We should end every podcast with see you in another life. <laughs> see you in another life. <laughs> yeah. See you in another life, brother. Yeah. Brother. Uh, uh, you, you, you won't meet him for a little while, but that was my Desmond. Impression. Okay. <laughs> De- you'll love Desmond. Which one? Well, I don't know. You don't know. Okay. But you will love him. I promise. Can't wait. <laughs> okay. So okay. That feels like that a good place like to end it off. End. Yeah. Uh, follow us on the socials. Ground. Sorry, we covered a lot of ground. We did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, follow us on the socials. Mm-hmm. I'm Aaron Ann underscore Mick on Instagram. I don't care about Twitter, so please don't follow me there. <laughs> <laughs> you said you had like two Twitter followers, and you have more Twitter followers than me. Like I have like eight. I also don't use it, but you have over a hundred. So do just I? Saying, yeah, yeah. Um, I checked after I was fact checking our episode. Did you guys hear that? I'm popular. <laughs> so <Aaron's> popular, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Instagram or TikTok at Sarah with an H dot E dot Blackmore. And you can find me on all of the things at Get Ratified G E T R A D I F I E D. And uh, I thought about this after the last episode but if anyone gives a shit and wants to check out 
my short films, which feature uh, Sarah and Aaron in various Hello. capacities. <laughs> Uh, my, my website is johnkennedy.net, j-o-n-kennedy.net. So you can go look at my things there. And you should. Like them. Or... You should. And you should. You should. <laughs> I guess you should. Okay. okay thanks. thanks for Bye. listening. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Jonathan. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>